it's kind of been a slow week, right? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, well, I don't know. A lot of big releases happened this week, and, and by big, I mean like Fall Out Boy, you know, very popular mm-hmm. releases, Tune Yards, for example. Right. And uh, none of them lived up to the hype, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like I was looking forward to a lot of things, and it was Same. like, but when, when I listened to them and they weren't that good, I was like, I'm not really surprised either. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, I guess me neither. Uh, especially with Fall Out Boy. <laughs> yeah, I I really liked yeah. Young and a Menace, and I was kind of hoping that like the rest of the album would be good. But I don't know. I listened to a couple other songs, and instantly I was like, oh, this is just going to be a pop album. That's fine. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was really looking forward to this Two Yards album, though. Mm-hmm. And really disappointed yeah i don't know she's just not as weird as she used to be yeah exactly it's like she turned her noni on us yeah i it's like when when you're not when she's not weird enough then the political stuff or the the preachy stuff just feels too preachy right but that kind of leads us into what we're going to be discussing today and that's just i guess this question i have about what it takes to be considered indie to the normal public mm. The reason why I use Tune Yards as a jumping point is because there are certain standard indie songs that it seems like everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider like Business by Tune Yards one of those. Okay. You know? But it seems there are like varying degrees of familiarity between the normal public and indie music. And what I mean is, take for example Business by Tune Yards. And then a song like Breeze Locks by Alt J versus Tongue Tied by Group Love. I basically just listed three very distinct levels of familiarity, right? Yeah. Going backwards to the most popular. A lot of people would know Tongue Tied, a little bit less Breeze Blocks, and then a little bit less Business. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just really intriguing to me what counts as indie still. With that being said, our song of the week is drum roll, please. Our song of the week is Sweet Disposition by the Temper Trap. on the week I listed three tiers obviously I can go further uh, to fourth and fifth tier songs of where it gets less and less familiar until it's obscure into nothingness <laughs> and you're like what the fuck is that and and you know I'm kind of also interested in what the cutoff for being quote unquote a hipster is too if what a hipster is is being the first to know a band or being the person who knows the bands that nobody else knows. Right? I just want to, for the record, I want to say that Keem is for sure a hipster. The question is just, <laughs> what is the cutoff for other people? 
I am for sure a hipster, yes. But I also know a lot of pop music. So what am I? Am I both? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> you just like all music. And it's really annoying because I can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's also also interesting, too. You know, why can't... Why, why do you have to be one or the other? Why is there a dichotomy between you enjoying music on the radio and you being a hipster? You know? I think there is one. Do you think there is one? Yeah, I think there is. And I think it's mostly just that, like... For a long time, like pop culture versus counterculture has been like, yeah. it's been like a part of your actual cultural identity. And now that there's just such a like, you can listen to any music you want anytime. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier to have your identity be like dissociated from that. So like I can like hip hop and pop and rock and like really hipstery music without it being like, oh, well now what am I? Am I a hipster or a <laughs> pop person or what? You know, but we still have that kind of that background of in the past, like let's say from the nineties, you're either like a boy band person or you're a mm-hmm. grunge person, you know, like yeah, yeah. you wouldn't be both because one of them is like, you're in the mainstream culture and one of them is you're in the counterculture. Gotcha. I read this one thing once in uh, this psychology book and I was like, counterculture inevitably destroys itself mm-hmm. because more and more people start subscribing to the counterculture in order to differentiate themselves. And eventually, everyone is part of the quote-unquote counterculture. And then it's normal. And honestly, I kind of feel like that's why Kurt Cobain is such a cult legend, is because, uh, I mean, not that he's like a musical genius, that's all clear. But I think the reason he's preserved his status as like a a symbol of outcasts is because the, like, he couldn't handle the mainstream success to such a level that he, like, he like his career ended then, you know, because he committed mm-hmm. suicide. And so yeah. he kind of became crystallized as this outcast symbol with before having a, a like the opportunity to, to lose that to all of his mainstream success, even though he was so successful. Before we get too far away, I think we chose Sweet Disposition because it's like it's one of those second tier songs where it could go either way, whether it's indie or it's not. Right. Right. And it's also complicated a little bit by the fact that, like, I know it mostly as a song that's popular because of a movie about hipsters, you know? Yeah. So, like, I think for people who listen to music a lot like us, it can be tough to figure out second-tier songs. As in, like, it can be tough to judge whether one of my friends would or wouldn't know it. As opposed to, like, I'm pretty sure nobody knows business and I'm pretty sure everybody knows tongue-tied, you know? Yeah. Well, the whole conversation actually started for me uh, when I was at this event and they were playing some music um, and they were playing obviously it was obviously a playlist Mm -hmm. because it sounded too curated every song was a tier one song Mm. and it was tongue-tied it was two-door it was of monsters and men and then you get a little bit of uh, passion pit and uh, electric feel came on and I was like yeah these are all great songs just every indie pop hit of like the last Two decades. Exactly. They're great songs and everyone, you know, you look around, everyone knows the lyrics to these songs and are singing to them. But in my head, I was like, these are, these have a lot of indie elements they mm-hmm. are not typical pop songs you hear them on alternative radio right um so 
that's that's why the conversation sparked. So I turned to my friend and I said exactly what you said. Like they're playing every indie hit of the last 10 years. I wonder what this is called. Like, how do I look this up? You know? And he was like, it's probably called, I can't believe it's not indie. (laughs) And I thought that was super clever because it's super true. (laughs) You turn the tub around on these songs and you're like, is it really indie? Yeah. (laughs) What is it? Yeah. Like I remember I was talking to one of my friends and we were basically talking about the difference between indie pop and pop. And you know, he, he's not as familiar with music terminology and stuff. And I think we were pointing out a bunch of uh, like radio hits that were also indie pop because, you know, that's what he would be familiar with. And he was like, those are all really popular. How can those be indie? And I, I think that I think that it's kind of like the same thing that pop has, you know, in that insofar as like pop is about popular music, but it's also pop genre music. And indie is also kind of like that. Like you can have indie pop because there's indie, like they both have genre characteristics. So, you know, like sometimes you hear an indie pop song on the radio and you're like, that shouldn't be on the radio, but somehow it still kind of works, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with indie pop, it's a little bit less surprising when it's on the radio. Right. Just because it's kind of appealing to the ear. It's like easy to listen to. Tongue tied is a great hit. You just, it's really cathartic. To sing along to it and just like have fun with your friends, you know? Yeah, like uh, Tongue Tied and also uh, Tovlo's Habits. Both of those were songs that like friends of mine sent to me like on YouTube before I ever heard them on the radio or anything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they had like pretty organic growth that way. But also like when I heard them on the radio, I wasn't like, this song's on the radio. I was like, ah, I guess this song's like popular. Cool. Like that makes yeah. sense. Right. Speaking of the radio, uh, I recently heard a Lord Huron song play. doesn't sound familiar that's my point and I was really surprised because one he plays really folky acoustic songs Mm. which you know not very common on the radio like I said indie pop is is kind of oh that makes sense versus slower more right acoustic songs except if you're Ed Sheeran Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um that and plus He's like an actual really obscure artist. And I, I, I thought I kind of lost a little bit of my hipster cred <laughs> when I heard it on the radio. But it turns out it was featured on a, a show on Netflix or something. It got really big, mm. uh, similar to Walking on a Dream when it played on the Honda right. show. It just blew up everywhere. We are always running for the thrill of it, thrill of it. Always pushing up the hill, searching for the You know, the point is, like, indie songs, 
course they're good. It's just not a lot of people hear them yeah. or have access to them. And when they do, they're like, yeah, I like this shit. You know, I, I wonder where it's been in all my life, which kind of goes back to what you said about the availability of all these songs now on, on streaming services where you don't necessarily have to stick with what you know you like. You have all this discovery mechanisms to find really niche stuff that's just appealing to your ears instead of like, oh, this genre is indie or this genre is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I agree. So so I have a question for you then. So sure. what do you what do you think are the characteristics that make like let's say some of the indie pop songs that we're talking about indie, like what are the, what are the like indie characteristics and why do they still work on the radio? You know what I mean? Like let's say take a walk or tongue tied or whatever. Like what is it about those songs that separates them from, from standard radio pop? Like I have a few ideas, but I'm still a little like, I I can't really say, you know? Oh, um, well, you're the one that had this discussion with your friends, so you probably already have, like, concrete points. Uh, <laughs> well, so, okay, so I have a couple of ideas, right? One yeah. is, I think, instrumentation is a big thing, right? Yeah. In something like Tongue Tide, there's guitars, right? And uh, uh, which, Magic of guitars that right. make shit indie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like, that's that's already a big step away from a lot of radio pop. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I think there's a lot of uh, dynamic variation in indie music compared to like straight up radio pop, you know, like, yeah. for example, take a walk like the choruses are these huge like stadium choruses, but then right. the, the verses are like very stripped back and and like almost ballady, even though they're still, you know, kind of upbeat or whatever. Which is, you know, a lot of radio pop is all loud all the time. Yeah, those are really good points. I think they definitely contribute to what makes something indie pop. I, I think to me, when I listen to this song and I'm trying to ascribe what kind of genre it is or where it should be, I have a few referential songs. Mm. And I guess I just use them to guide me to like pick one way or the other if this if a song is indie, indie pop, indie rock, or whatever, on a kind of subconscious level. It's not a very deliberate choice. I'm like, I'm not going through every song in my head saying, yeah, I think this this is something. Yeah, so for example, I heard the revivalist Wish I Knew You mm. on the radio. I wish I knew you when I was young I could have got so heard it anywhere else so when i was listening to it i i kind of did that that automatic classification thing like comparing it to other sounds 
that I've heard in the past mm-hmm. to try to figure out what it is. Right. And, you know, it has like this old school vibe. And then when the chorus hits, there are these, uh, the saxophone comes in mm-hmm. and the rhythm guitar is kind of like, like sway. It's, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And first off, the distinction already is this is not a pop song. Right. right. It's really easy to figure out what it's not. Right. Obviously, it's not a pop song. It's not a hip hop song. Not any of those things. So you're kind of narrowing it down further and further as you listen to it, and you're like, yeah, this is kind of like, say, like a rock song has that kind of instrumentation, like you were saying, mm-hmm. and the the vibe that it's feeling is like very laid back. It kind of sounds like Electric Guest, you mm-hmm. know. And then when I think about Electric Guest, automatically spreading activation happens, and I'm like, yeah, this kind of um, kind of washy old school uh, kind of poppy sound that I've heard before but here it is on the radio in a different way um, yeah for me it that song makes me think of like uh, like early Maroon 5 soft rock kind of stuff yes you know? early Maroon 5 which I also is, got that vibe yeah which is clearly like indie pop at best you know it's not like straight up pop because they have a lot of like jazz influences and like straight up rock influences so tell that it's at least a little off the mainstream pop path you know yeah exactly yeah so that's how i do it i just look as i listen what are the artists the albums like like pop in my head and from there it's kind of just spirals into like kind of get a it's not really a tangible answer but it's one that is narrow enough that i'm like yeah it fits there right but i guess the dilemma kind of pops up slightly is that you need to have prior experience mm-hmm. um, in order to do this classification thing that we're talking about. And if, say, you're a person that just listens to the radio um, and all you hear is pop songs mm-hmm. and you hear this Laura Hearn song, for example, the difference is going to be drastic. Right. Right. So I think it kind of leads you to, instead of classifying what it is, it's kind of like, do I like it or not? Like right away, you have to make a decision. Right. It sounds weird. Do I like it? Yeah, I guess. Versus, you know, it sounds like something else and I kind of like that thing. So I'm kind of like this thing. Let's just keep listening. You know, there's a lot less to work with, I think. If right. You're just not accustomed to certain sounds. And I think music that bills itself as like experimental music, it's trying to do that for people who have that prior experience, you know? Like it's yeah, trying to throw you yes. off the deep end and be like, here, I'm going to give you something that you have no context for. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is why, too, you know, in our best off episode, we were saying, well, I, I said that I didn't feel like the experimental side of things this year, this year being 2017, was, was all that experimental. Right. Um, and, you know, come to think of it, what if it was just me? And I've heard too much. Right. It's possible. Um, it's possible. I hope not. You know, um, it takes, it's a two way street. It's like experimental is a relative thing now. Even if you never thought about it that way, if you classify something as experimental, it's only going to be experimental to some people. 
but i mean also to be fair you know if you're a musician then like you that's like a thing that you have to deal with you know what i mean like you you've heard the music you know what's out there if you're gonna be experimental then you got to be experimental you can't repeat stuff and and bill yourself as doing new things Right. And I think maybe we could take a look at a band like Superorganism, for example. much and I, I would classify them as experimental is because it seems like instead of them trying to be experimental music they're simply just creating music uh like recombination of all of these people in their band and all these ideas bouncing off and mixing and shuffling mm-hmm. organically so that it becomes something uh experimental and new versus i think it would be more difficult if you were purposely trying to make something experimental because you might get I guess limited mm-hmm. by the pursuit of experimentalism. <laughs> I, I totally feel you. And you know, that reminds me of something that uh Indie Darlings Radiohead have said, right? Um Radiohead is like a band that is infamously, you know, not difficult to get into, but like it, it takes like exposure. love Radiohead to death will tell you that like yeah I basically listened to Radiohead for seven years and now I love them you know so it's like and Radiohead have said you know people always ask them like you're so experimental you've done so many different styles and they're like we just write pop songs to our own taste it's just that our tastes are stuff like Alice Coltrane and like ridiculous whatever like electronic and jazz people and I honestly think that's why Radiohead is amazing. You know, it's not because they're so experimental. It's because Radiohead knows how to do really weird things, but have it be like, they don't do it for the sake of being weird. They do it because it's like organically the appropriate thing for the song. It's just that they have like such a rich vocabulary of experimental stuff that like, yeah. that they can just pull that stuff out and it's like speaking their, you know, their own language or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And personally, when I listen to music that does that, that does like experimental stuff, but like makes it feel organic to the song, I call that the Radiohead factor because they like, they like set the blueprint for that. And it's like a really important ability for a musician to have. So yeah, I I guess what we're saying is that like the cutoff for indie music is it's kind of on a case by case basis because we just judge it based on how we listen to that particular song based on our prior experiences. But uh, though we're saying that, you know, the cutoff for indie does depend on an individual basis. There is kind of like this aggregate 
factor as well. What I mean is, on a population level, there is still a cutoff for indie music. Because mm-hmm. without it, we kind of get into trouble. Yeah, I get what you mean. It's like like if you had a color gradient from like yellow to red, and mm-hmm. you you there's clearly not clear cutoffs of like okay here is yellow and everything between here and here is orange and everything between here and here is red but clearly any given point that you point to is a color it can't be more than one color you know it's like like yeah it might be a spectrum of indie all the way to the poppiest pop but that doesn't mean that you know Katy Perry isn't pop and that doesn't mean that Radiohead isn't indie yeah and with that We're going to move on to our lightning rounds. This week, we do not have an album of the week, unfortunately. Um, We didn't like any of the same albums, and it happens. Yeah. This is the second time this happened. (laughs) That's not true. One time we had two album of the weeks because we just couldn't decide. Right. It was, okay, so sometimes we completely disagree, and sometimes we are completely in sync. Uh, First off, our first lightning round is... Sir's November. So Sir is an R&B artist who has just been signed to Top Dog Entertainment, the label that also has Kendrick Lamar, Schoolboy Q, a bunch of other people. SZA. SZA, right? Um, And November is his second album, his first album with uh, TDE. Um, And this album is like, I was really taken aback by this album. I think R&B is a tough genre to do well, but this album sort of does a a really cool thing, which is that it definitely harkens back a lot to classic R&B. It has like these light soul influences and it has these like like wandering melodies that reminds me a lot of old soul and R&B. Uh, and like this, you know, conversational delivery, but it also has this, it's definitely updated for the modern era, you know, and it has these like really hard hitting drums and a lot of attitude and provocative lyrics, stuff like that. Um, and Sir's voice is incredible. And just the whole, the whole vibe of the album is, is really cool because it's like, it's like if R&B was, was dream pop plus hip hop, you know? And I just, I was really into this album from start to finish. And he manages to create this like intimacy, but also just just an atmosphere where you don't have to pay too much attention to get all of that. And it's just like, I can't stop listening to it. it even I think if I had one complaint, it would be that the, the album is a little extra long uh, for what it needs to be and maybe a little too samey. I wish there were maybe a couple of upbeat tracks to break it up, but... Overall, like, I'm really impressed with his artistic vision, and I, you know, TDE's track record remains untarnished. Next up is Super Whatever's Never Nothing. And that's whatever without the last beat. 
Super Whatever is a rock band from California, and this is their debut album. I think this album would be like the perfect soundtrack for dark, kind of brooding indie rom-com. And that's because all the songs kind of revolve around what it's like to be really in your head, like in your own head, when you're a part of a really shitty relationship. And kind of reflecting and discovering uh, what's it mean to be without this person and and why you should leave such a relationship. And because of that, you know, all the lyrics are super vulnerable, super honest, and the delivery is really emotional for it being like a really solid rock album. Um, it has all the elements of great 2000s indies, like Queens of the Stone Age, but without the fatigue. And it kind of makes sense because the lead singer used to be in like a hardcore emo band. <laughs> um, but this album is still distinctly indie rock. I think you should check it out if you like Catfish and the Bottomman or The Cooks. Oh my God, you've got it all figured out. And this I know, it never made much sense to me. And oh my love, I've got this life to figure out. So First Aid Kit is a Swedish folk duo consisting of two sisters, and Ruins is their fourth album. But uh, when I say Swedish folk duo, I don't mean they play Swedish folk. I mean they're Swedish yep. and they play folk, as in American folk music. Um, but this album is actually an, more of a country album, uh, and I kind of love it. And I think the really special thing about it is its timelessness, you know? I think a lot of the commentary on this album has focused around either the novelty of like, you know, two Swedish sisters making like straight up American country music, or it's focused specifically on how beautiful their harmony sound. And like, yes, both of those are true. Their their harmonies do sound amazing. And it is a pretty novel thing that these Swedish sisters are making American country music, but like it doesn't sound out of place at all. And I think it stands on its own merits. It doesn't have to rely on gimmicks like that. Um, the thing about this album is that when I say that it's timeless, I don't necessarily even mean that as a as a measure of its quality. It sounds like classic. It sounds traditional, you know, kind of like how Sir harkened back to traditional R&B. This album harkens back to, to traditional country. And and I think what really works about this album is the simplicity, but also genuineness of its of its songwriting. Like the whole album is lyrically about about distance, you know, about going somewhere, losing someone, finding someone, and just just the the feeling of being lost and not knowing where you are going. And I think that that the title "Ruins" is really appropriate for that. And these sisters really they have such beautiful voices, and they know how to write such such cutting lyrics that that the simplicity of their sound and songwriting 
really works. It's been a while since I've heard a singer-songwriter album basically that works this well. And I think if you like country, if you like singer-songwriter music, then it's hard to find something more beautiful and more moving than this album. So check it out. Yeah, so I've been a First Aid Kit fan for a really long time, since 2012, uh, with their album Lion's Roar, or The Lion's Roar. And I think all the things that you touched on really are kind of like what makes them so great, the band, that is. But I think their new album kind of departed a little bit away from the more folk sound that I love into the more country sound that you really like for this album. Mm-hmm. So to each their own, I just, I, I guess I just kind of like it a little bit better when they were still traditional folk. Fair enough. I've never listened to their older albums, so I really couldn't comment on that. I just, I really liked the country vibes of this album, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble came. I wasn't looking to change, I'll never be the same. That's not what you made. And finally, we have the Go Team's Semicircle. This is my first time hearing about the Go Team. They're actually a really prominent band from the UK, and this is their fifth album. And as I've heard from Arash uh, in the critical community, this album sounds a lot like all their other albums, and I concur, it does. But it doesn't make it not good. (laughs) Um, When you first listen to them, they kind of transport you back to like a schoolyard. And I really like that. And this is like a very deliberate choice. In Semicircle, they actually got a youth choir from Detroit to sing, which lends it a little bit more authenticity, I guess. Um, and, you know, kind of similar to the comment I made about experimental music in our discussion, this album sounds experimental to me because it's as if every member brought a little bit of their own flair into the album. There's the producer, Ian, and there's this rapper, I mean, Ninja, and then there's a singer, and there's this youth choir, and then there's this cool brass band that they brought in as well. It's a really big sound um, that's also managed to sound loose and carefree. And it just makes me so happy because it makes me feel like I'm walking through a parade. And one of their songs called Hey has this tiny sample and this album has a lot of samples as with all their other albums, kind of like the avalanches, uh, has this tiny sample of, of this French woman speaking and it roughly translates to what I feel the album is about. Um, basically it's colorful and vibrant, bright and just really creative. The lyrics, though, too, are more nuanced than you think for something that sounds so playful. Like in The Answer is No, Now What's the Question, and Plans Are Like a Dream You Organize. Check out this band if you like the avalanches, and if you like the lyricism of Always with the sound of Sam Kerman, I would love to see them live. And yeah, that's it. (laughs) 
by the way, this is like neither here nor there, but Pitchfork basically wrote a review of this album, and their review uh. was basically like, like they they sort of liked it, and they did say the whole you know it sounds like all of their other albums, but at near the end they basically imply that like. Oh well, this guy uses all of the sounds of the '60s, but he doesn't talk about politics or anything. Like Mayday <laughs> sounds like it's about a political emergency, no. but instead it's just about a girl. It's really irresponsible of him to ignore all of the political oh. turmoil. And I'm like, Pitchfork, get your head out of your ass. Like, you can't listen to this album and be like, why is this not more political? Ridiculous. Like, uh, I, I think in yeah. general, this album should be political, but it isn't. Is like a really stupid criticism of anything. Agreed. And with that, that's it for this episode of Jomo Plays, the show where we talk about music we love and why we love it. I'm Ki Wong. And I'm Adar Sinead Noor. And if you like us and you like this episode, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also get this podcast on almost any other platform where podcasts are usually found. We're also on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Please Drumroll. This is where we'll supplement the show with song recommendations or album recommendations that we didn't really get to on the actual podcast. Aside from that, we have our Facebook page, also at Please Drumroll, where we'll post every time we upload an episode so you can be up to date. You can also message us via the messaging feature if you have any questions or just want to tell us hi or have any suggestions you want us to talk about. Lastly, we have a description where we'll include all the songs and albums that we featured on this episode if you liked what you heard. Until next time. Bye. One thing that came out of death, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can, as I was that. saying this, I'm like, that's definitely going to get cut, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I take the weird ones. Fucking obscure-ass album that I didn't even hear about, even though I listened to a million albums. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> We've already established this. Fucking hipster. God damn it. Last week had no dogs allowed, so I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm just gonna let Here it comes, slide. a full year of you complaining about how nothing is as good as Sydney Gish. <laughs> yes. Didn't we already Sydney. go through this in 2016? Come on. She's, I love her. She should come to South Park. Okay, all right. Continue. I fucking, I still can't get, I, I, I eat salads now out of my head. Just. Is first aid kits ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to correct you and then. I did it again. Uh, you said it wrong. It's. The go team. <laughs> There's an exclamation point. My I my silence is my response. I'm not like ignoring <laughs> you. I just this silence is my response to that that comment. <laughs>